Hi, everyone. It is, uh, well, I guess it's Sunday at this point. Uh, UFC 250 has just ended, so it is technically on the East Coast, uh, 12.52 a.m. on June 7th. But, of course, we are here to cover UFC 250. My name is Luke Thomas, and this is my UFC 250 post-fight special. So, we get to results, we get to analysis, we get to some of your questions, we get to a lot. And without further ado, let's do that now. All right, so as you can see below, here I'll take it off for just a second, uh, as you can see below, a little more of an active animation there, subscribe, give the video a thumbs up, please, um, I work for Showtime, I work for SiriusXM, I do a number of projects and shows with them if you want any more information about it and how you can watch virtually all of it is free at least in some capacity all the links are in the description box below if you also do not wish to have spoilers for whatever reason now is your time to get out of here because otherwise we're going to get to them uh in every granular detail and then last but not least like the live chats that we do on friday on this channel if you donate i will get to your questions um at the end of the show okay all right uh, so I'll give you guys some priority about that. All right, with that in mind, let's take that off and then just put this here for the time being, although I will not leave that up the entire time. Okay, so UFC 250 is in the books. Thank you guys so much for joining me. I greatly appreciate it. Let us get to some of the details. Um, first of all, I really would like to focus the majority of my time on the bantamweight uh, news and shakeups and interesting pieces of... Uh, well, the interesting developments that happened at 135 pounds, but we have to obviously start with the main event. So UFC 250, of course, took place at the UFC Apex. Uh, your main event, Amanda Nunes, defends her UFC featherweight title against Felicia Spencer, winning via unanimous decision 50-44, 50-44, 50-45. How they scored all five of those, 10-9, I'm not sure I understand, but okay, whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh, look. On paper, heading into this fight, this was not an especially difficult call, which is to say the following. If you looked at the tail of the tape, Amanda Nunes had marginally, but a bigger reach. She had significantly more experience, and not just that, she had significantly more experience at the highest level. I think if you go and look back at this 11-fight win streak that Amanda Nunes has been on, it started in 2015. That is when... Spencer made her pro debut, right? So, I mean, we're talking about people in just dramatically different positions in their careers. Uh, you look at the striking totals. Uh, I mean, I don't even know what to say. Uh, Amanda Nunes had a positive differential, which means the set, which means she had uh, she landed more strikes than she absorbs, and it was by double digits. Felicia Spencer, even heading into this fight, now this was somewhat skewed by the results of the cyborg fight, but she had a negative differential. Um, Amanda Nunes scored more takedowns. She had better striking defense by double digits. Felicia Spencer's takedown success rate heading into this contest was 16%. It's going to be even lower than that today because she went six for she went she I think she went 0 for 7. She went 0 for 7. So that's going to be even worse. I mean, there was nothing on paper you could point to that that would give you any kind of indication that Felicia Spencer could do well. Now, you there's been many times where you're like, okay, this person's got no shot, and then they end up winning because MMA, it's very, very hard to control for all the variables. 
you know, you make a tiny mistake, you can oftentimes really pay for it. There's just a lot that can go wrong. And so out of respect for that reality, I think some of us were saying, well, okay, let's, what can we say positively about Felicia Spencer? Well, we knew from the cyborg fight she was durable. That proved to be true. We knew from some of her wins, the fight she had prior to this one was an example of that. The Megan Anderson one as well. She had like unorthodox takedowns, like sort of sacrifice throws, sit through takedowns. And she had good jujitsu. She had, I think, heading into this contest, four chokes from the back, right? So in black belt and jujitsu. So, like, you knew she was a talented fighter, right? Um, uh, and so I think you saw some of that. I think defensively, you saw her jujitsu kind of take care of her. She took some elbows from guard tonight, but in general, you know, even if even if uh, Amanda was passing, um, it wasn't exactly like some kind of like tortuously bad differential between them. She showed defensively sound jujitsu in reclaiming position, firing underhooks, sitting up when she needed to. Um, she never really get let positions get out of hand, right? She never really gave up knee on belly for I think any kind of extended period at all. She never gave up mount, right? So you know, like the things that we kind of knew about her. Um, prove true and like you know be honest about what you saw tonight Spencer is incredibly tough like no one takes Amanda's punches like that nobody nobody does Uh, amazing you know she was able to do that Duran to me went five rounds with Amanda but that was because Amanda was able to find the takedown when she needed it right not from just standing up to Duran to me's punches in fact if you go back to that fight you know Duran to me was very often the one with the better punches. Let me make sure that everything is looking good here. Yeah, it looks good. Okay. So, um, with that in mind, what is the reality about this fight? Dude, they were not even, you know, this was, you know, it's this is going to sound like I'm being demeaning, but I think if you just don't call the reality, you're actually being demeaning to Amanda Nunez. Uh, Felicia Spencer is a talented fighter. She will live to fight again. She might even have some great wins. The Megan Anderson wins a great win. Her Invicta run was great, you know. But this was, this was LeBron versus, you know, somebody from the G League or something. I mean, this was they were they were barely even in the same. The, I mean, the only thing they had in common was that they both fought in the UFC and then the featherweight division. That the gap between them was extraordinary, and that's not the you know end of the world because the gap between Amanda Nunes. And Rousey and Cyborg and Holm and Tate and Pennington and Durandami and less so Shevchenko, but you know this this resume she's put together against these greats, everyone's uh, you know, uh, much lesser than. But they were not even close to the same level. Listen, I mean, when you watch this fight, you knew ahead of time if Spencer had a chance, it was going to be in close. If she could find a way to get double underhooks, if she could find a way to get it against the fence, smother. Amanda Nunes, maybe find a way to get on top, trip takedown, that kind of a thing. Then you thought, okay, maybe there's something there. And there was a couple times she was able to get in close, but in general, this fight was fought at the range that Amanda Nunes wanted to. She landed virtually everything that she threw. Um, She got takedowns six of seven whenever she wants. She could run single legs. She had trips where she would kick the post leg out, and Spencer would go flying. Um... I mean, I don't even know what to tell you. Like, it was it was total domination. Amanda Nunes is an incredible talent. So, like, what you really picked up on this fight, because sometimes the fights end so quickly, you don't really even really appreciate this. Amanda Nunes is not merely technically superior to, to her opponents. Now, not in every situation, in every case, but in general, 
I think it's a pretty fair assessment, right? She's technically superior to her opponents in general. And it also looks like she is physically dominant over them. She was ragdolling Felicia Spencer through big portions of this fight. She could clinch break when she wanted. She could turn her in the clinch uh, with her back to the fence if she wanted. Again, those takedowns. She would just chuck her to the ground. You know, I, 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 I feel like just going through these details, I'll just end up being insulting to Spencer, which I don't want to do. Um, she's a very nice person. She's a talented martial artist. I'm just trying to accurately reflect what we just saw. It was a mauling. It was a complete and total mauling. The one thing that really stands out to me about this fight is, uh, again, we get to a situation. Now, I think, I mean, I don't know this for a fact, but I feel like Nunez kind of took it easy on Spencer in that last round by getting on top and not really digging it to her. A um, couple of elbows she landed that cut her open a little more, but I don't know. She could, it feels like she could have turned it on more. You know, after I was watching this fight after the third round. I was like, Ugh, this is not going in the right direction. Because it's one thing, like I know we've been over this a million times, but the, in the Anthony Smith fight, like he clearly won the first round with Glover Teixeira, and you could make a case he won the second. It was that things, when they turn, they turn kind of quickly, right? It was sort of the argument there. And then by the fourth round, they were really going quite poorly for him at that point. But, you know, Anthony was, I mean, heading into the fifth, you could make the case that it was 2-2, right? Or maybe there were some 10-8s in there, but, you know, two rounds apiece or something. There was none of that here. I mean, heading into the fifth, Spencer barely landed a punch. Maybe, a, you know, something here or there. You know, there was just, she couldn't do anything to her. You know, if you talk to like high-level boxers, they'll say something, and you're seeing it now more in MMA too. Like, why do you faint, right? Uh, okay, so that they think you're doing something and you're doing something else, and then they get tricked, and then the shot lands. But like, understand what that means. What that means is these high-level fighters, it's hard to land on them, right? If I just throw a punch hard and fast, It'll probably miss or get blocked or they'll roll with it. You have to trick them for the punch to land. You have to trick them for the shot to work. You have to trick them for the kick to, to make an impact. Not every time, but in general against the higher level guys. Um, that was a level that Spencer was never able to get to. She was never able to get to a point where she was able to, in any kind of way, and certainly any kind of sustained way over even a minute, um, trick Amanda. Get her to think X and then do Y. Never. She she would she was trying her best by mixing it up. You heard him talking in the corner about like, you know, Superman punch her way in. Okay, so if you're the corner and you're seeing this, and then I think after the third, they were like, Okay, the feeling out period is over. And you're like, I'm like I was like the feeling out period. My man, she's got two black eyes. The fuck are you talking about? Feeling out? I mean, this is a mugging, my my guy. What, like, you know, and I get it. You're trying to hype up your person here who you feel like is still in the fight. Okay, you know, cornering can't be easy. It's very easy to do what I'm doing, which is just armchair quarterbacking. All right, fine. But fuck, feeling out. I mean, feeling out is like a round, maybe. First couple of minutes of a round. Not 15 fucking minutes. Where in, in those 15 minutes, she's getting tuned up. Uh, 
So that was strange. So then you head into the fourth, heading, uh, or end of the fourth, heading into the fifth. And, you know, there's just no advice about, like, you know, we need to see something from you here if uh, you want this to continue. Everyone just treats it like, hey, you know, this is her only chance she's going to be here. If we take this from her, you know, it'll be damaging psychologically for life. It's like, all right, all right. Well, I guess we are all, as a sport, just committed to kicking the shit out of each other unnecessarily. And by the way, you know, I saw it again on Twitter. This wasn't the whole COVID debate where it was MMA media versus everybody else. I saw numerous fighters on Twitter tonight calling for that fight to be to be stopped. Experienced ones, too. So, you know, it wasn't just me or, you know, whoever. So, in any event, uh, the, the the things that stand out to me is the, the my biggest takeaways are, number one, it is obvious at this point from a punching power perspective and a weight manipulation perspective, right? So, strength, physicality in these locked up positions and at range, plus with technique, Amanda Nunes is better as a technical fighter and she's better as a physical fighter than virtually all of her opponents across two weight classes. She's a fucking beast, number one. So, that's the first takeaway. The second takeaway I would have is, of course... Felicia Spencer is tough, uh, and I think that deserves to be acknowledged. Um, three, I would say that the cornering here uh, by Felicia Spencer's side, again, I am sure that they are capable martial artists. I bet you that they're nice people. I bet you they're very smart people. The problem in MMA, everyone wants to make everyone's corner who doesn't call a fight. They want to make them out to be Hitler when it turns out that's not the case at all. It just We have a really bad idea about risk assessment and... Um, you know, and it's affecting, I think, even very, very smart, capable people. I, that's that's really the scary part. They're not idiots. They're not, you know, they're not bad people. They're just, they, I think they have a very, very wrong idea. Okay, anyway, that stands out. The last thing that stands out to me about it, because there's not really much to say. The last thing that stands out beyond that is they kept asking her what's next. And she's like, I don't even know. Dude, there was a real part of me that thought she was going to retire tonight. Let me just make an example to, to, to show you here. I'm going to pull up the rankings um, I'm going to show you here if I can. All right. So I'm going to pull this up. Let me see if you guys can see this. Yes, you can. Okay. Look at these rankings. All right. So here is pound for pound. Doesn't matter. Straw weight. Obviously she can't make fly weight. She can't make. So, you know, you can say whoever you want in here. You can maybe a Megan Anderson fight, but um, which they might do, but I don't know how competitive that would be. I don't think that's unfair. I think Megan has really improved, um, but we're talking about a very special talent here. Look at the uh, look at the names here. Durandamy fought and defeated twice. Holm stopped her inside of a round. Aspen Ladd, we'll come back to. Juliana Pena, we'll come back to. Uh, Irene Aldana will come back to Raquel Pennington demolished she's a good fighter Ketlin Vieira at this point we're outside the top five Kunitskaya I don't think would have anything for her McMahon already finished her inside of a round Marion Renault now are at the top 10 and then any of these names it just doesn't even matter at that point so really you're talking about these three names are probably the best for her so Megan Anderson in 145 Aspen Ladd, Pena, and Aldana. Now, you can make a case that Shevchenko could come up one more time, but if you're Amanda Nunes and you fought her twice and both of those were maybe some of your tougher fights, what incentive do you really have to take it? I agree. I'd be interested in seeing it again. I just don't know if Amanda really wants to take that. At this point, she's kind of earned a little bit of discretion. So we'll see how likely that is. It seems to me probably very not. So then these names, Ladd, Pena, and Aldana, that's 
That's your best case scenario right there. Uh, Lad, I don't think would have the physicality to deal with it. Uh, uh, you know, and she's extremely talented. Uh, Pena, again, probably a uh, uh, force to be reckoned with on the floor, but Amanda Nunez is no joke. And then I think the striking, particularly the range management, would cause some fits. And Aldana is certainly good about staying on her horse. Um, but, you know, I don't think has the punching power to put Nunez away, which means that Nunez would be in her face probably for 25 minutes or however long it lasted. And I, I don't think anyone in that division can hang with her for 25 minutes. You know, it's interesting that Spencer is super tough and at 145. Someone can hang with her. The only person at 135 who I think can really hang with her on the feet, right, for an extended period of time is Shevchenko. Um, Duran to me, yes, but when I say on the feet, the takedowns are a big part there. So, you know, that kind of a thing. Yeah, I mean, there's, I, I just don't consider them. It's, 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 it's hard to talk about Amanda Nunes without being insulting or coming off sounding like you're insulting to the rest of that division. It's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to candidly like articulate to the best of my ability, these are not competitive fights on paper. And there's not a lot of reason to think that they would be. A couple of interesting ways, again, maybe with Shevchenko, you know, maybe with Pena a certain way, um, that's about it. That's really about it. And even that, some of that's a stretch. So where does she go from here? I do not know. I do not know. I suspect that they will just wait for her to have uh, uh, Nina, Nina, I guess Nunes is her last name now, formerly Nina Ansaroff, I guess will have their child and she'll go on maternity leave of some kind and they'll wait to see how the division moves forward a little bit. But it is slim pickings, man. You know, it wouldn't happen because the commission would never allow it. It seems like one of these lines you just can't cross, probably for very good reason. But if there was ever a woman who we were to say, okay, you know, this is, a, this is you, don't, you don't want to play this card until you're really sure. If there was a woman we could select to take on men of equal size, would it not be Amanda Nunes? And I'm not saying she would win. Maybe you think she'd get pasted, right? Okay, fine, whatever. But would you would you feel like super worried about her safety? I don't know that I would. Would I pick her to win against, you know, top 10 guys at 135 pounds? Probably not. But uh, even then, maybe. And... I certainly wouldn't like be like concerned about her in in, this, in that kind of way, dude. She can thump. So this was uh, this was academic. This was academic. She really had her way with. She could do whatever she wanted to Felicia Spencer um, tonight. And Amanda Nunes is you know eleven fight win streak, incredible, incredible, right? Okay. So if you have any questions about it, I'm happy to come back. I just don't want to belabor the point of something that was an easy, easy, easy shutout any more than I already have. Now, let's get to really what the meat of this card is, which is the Bantamweight Showcase. Heading in, you had one, two, three, uh, essentially three fights at Bantamweight, and then you had two other guys, Stamen and Kelleher, who are Bantamweights who just fought at Featherweight given the short-notice nature of the, of the contest. But essentially a Bantamweight Showcase here, right? Okay, let's start with the co-main event. Cody Garbrandt takes on Rafael Sunsau and defeats him at 459 of the second round. I put out a video this week on the channel. I'll take this off for just a minute. I put out a video this week on the channel um, noting that I love this fight. I loved it just from the style matchup, which we'll talk about in a moment, but I also love the stakes because you had a Sunsau, 36-37, lost two in a row, still pretty competitive, very smart, always been unheralded 
against Cody Garbrandt, who had this incredible run from uh, unranked to champion, essentially within a calendar year, and then hasn't won since, basically. And since then, switched things up where he went to Mark Henry and Ricardo Almeida, and still with Team Alpha Males, right? Still, he's doing a little bit of the both thing. And you thought to yourself, wow, man, if he goes in there and gets a spectacular win, I mean, he's already on the co-main event. This guy might get a title shot. I mean, I'm not guaranteeing it, but certainly puts him right back in the thick of things at a bare minimum. And if he loses four in a row, even after making adjustments, I know he's only 28, but that would not look good, you know? So you thought, wow, this is really interesting. And holy Christ, did Cody Garbrandt deliver. I thought it was, I was a little concerned halfway through the second because what I was noticing was he was tearing up Sun Sao's leg with the leg kicks. But the game plan, again, I have to go back and look at the details. I wasn't exactly able to tell what was happening. But what he was doing through the first two rounds, for the most part, it wasn't a showcase of his power. It wasn't a showcase of his offensive prowess it was a showcase of discipline it was a showcase of recognition it was a showcase of homework it was a showcase of movement and footwork and um uh, range management it was really you know it sounds like a, a little defensive right and i'm not even saying that's wrong especially for the first round first round i completely understand i was kind of hoping like you know midway more through the second Let's start turning it up. And he was doing a little bit of that, where he was starting to let the hands go a little bit more. And a Sun Tzu is hard to hurt. He's hard to land on. So, you know, maybe I'm being a little bit too judgmental. And if I go back and I watch the tape, I'll rescind this a little bit. It's a minor, minor criticism. I hope everyone understands that. But then at the end there, uh, backs up, <laughs> right? Dips hard to his right and then uncorks as he comes up. So he comes up and then just twists into a Sun Tzu with this incredibly heavy right hand that Sun Sao, it's funny, if you actually look at who threw the punch first and landed first, it would have been a Sun Sao. He threw first and he crossed the center line of Cody's body first, but he was a little bit too far away. Um, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't, I guess he either pulled the hook in or he just misjudged it. Uh, Co Cody came second, but the speed on that thing was dramatic and the accuracy incredible just one punch knocked him out at 459 that was that is easily that's got to be the best walk-off KO under 155 pounds 155 pounds and down that's one of the best walk-off KOs I've ever seen that's one of the best walk-off KOs frankly in UFC history Cody Garbrandt phenomenal phenomenal job by him now I'm not saying he got lucky there I'm saying had it gone another round would we have seen more of the hands being let go? His speed on them looked great. Again, he was he was throwing them in the right context, right when he was in a safer range, his kind of a range. He can blitz you and sort of machine gun, overwhelm you in those tight spots. We kind of knew that. He did it to Dominic Cruz. He actually did it to TJ Dillashaw a couple times too. So you knew he could do that. He was bringing that back. But it looked to me like he really needed to reset there. Again, man, like you, you know, if you go to Team Alpha Milk, can you become a good fighter? I mean, the answer is quite obviously yes. But it doesn't mean that they're the right answer or that any team is the right answer for everyone every time. That that obviously is not going to be the case. Let's see here, yeah. Um, it's obviously not going to be the case. So 
You have to find out what works for you. You have to find out what makes the most sense. You have to find out what the right fit is. And, you know, Mark Henry being a really tactical, as they, as they sort of talked about, detail-oriented kind of a, uh, a striker or a striking coach, not exactly paint by the numbers, but really lays out the granular de- detail, the big map, makes you sort of understand it and gives you a real clear sense of what, like, what is your job here? What is your job in this fight? What is your, not merely your, your end goal, but moment to moment, round to round, opportunity to opportunity what is your job what is the what is the task that you have to pull off either in setting a context identifying one taking advantage eliminating building this bigger universe around yourself and understanding the one that you're in and then really sticking to um, a well-rehearsed game plan uh, he did that. I thought he did that. And if there was a knock on him, Jimmy Smith and I talked about this on my show on Friday. If there was a knock on Cody, everyone was making it out to be his chin. I don't really think that's the fairest point, to be honest with you. I'm not saying that, you know, he's got, you know, relatively speaking, Felicia Spencer level toughness. But, you know, if you stand there and you just trade with TJ and he's driving into his punches, yeah, it's probably going to hurt you. Uh, if you do it to Pedro Munoz. Probably going to do the exact same thing. You know, I I, I don't, I, th- that argument to me is, I'm not saying it's, there's no merit to it. I just think it's overstated. To me, the consideration was he was just abandoning game plans and then just biting down on his mouthpiece. You know, so even if, even if I'm willing to concede, that's, he doesn't have the best chin at bantamweight, um, even if he did, he wouldn't be making effective use of it. Right, that's sort of the point. Like you know, really waiting till you're in a very bad circumstance. He was entering these like obviously avoidable scenarios. Anyway, so he avoided a big part of that. He was motioning left and right and in and out and tons of fakes and feints and yada yada. And we need to see more of it to see exactly how well it will work against these other pieces of the bantamweight division. But I would say welcome back to the elite of bantamweight, Cody Garbrandt. What a return! What an arrival! And it looked like Hikardo Almeida, we didn't really see much groundwork, but okay, you know, we'll see how this thing goes forward. And Mark Henry, in conjunction with everything he has built on the West Coast, is just what the doctor ordered. So while I was a little bit concerned about, you know, again, to what extent it was, the game plan was a little bit too defensive, a little bit too concerned with making sure there wasn't that much contact. And if there was contact, it was really strictly at distance, on your terms, you know, that kind of a thing, which you want it to be. I'm just saying, was it too heavy in one direction? You know, let's see him play it out. He could have had some nerves, blah, blah, blah. But the the thing I wanted to mention was Jimmy Smith and I were talking about this. The argument is not so much about the chin of Cody, although you can make that if you really want to. The argument is, um, can he make good in-fight decisions? So to me, the fact that he was able to follow a game plan, we kind of already knew that from the Dominic Cruz fight. And that's not a small thing, especially at a high level. Um, that'll keep you in the majors and, and maybe at the top of it, just doing that alone. But you know, are you able to make some good decisions? I think in this fight, you were able to see that he was able to make some good decisions. He stayed out of trouble for the most part, not merely by virtue of the game plan, but by virtue of, you could tell, reading his way through certain moments, that last punch seemed to be quite both the function of listening to his corner and a little bit of uh, improvisational as well, right? Sort of reading the tea leaves here, get a little closer, get a little closer, turn and pop. So to me, I'm not saying that like this proves that Cody Garbrandt has the best fight IQ advance. And what I am here to say is if what you were saying was 
the lack of fight IQ was this limiting factor for him, you you might want to revise that, I think, a little bit, or I think it's worth some discussion at this point about how true it actually is. Because to me, clearly a big part of what we saw tonight, adherence to a game plan, sticking to a map, a roadmap to follow, no doubt about it. I think there was a little bit of that at play too. A little bit of understanding. Let's play a little jazz here. And uh, I mean... The results speak for themselves. He is so fast. He is so powerful. You know, when he uses those things, um, you know, he had his back up against the wall. He wasn't overcome with the moment. And, you know, listen, people like to hate on Cody a little bit because he talked a big game and he had the whole choke TJ and Team Alpha Male for life. And then none of it seemed to come true. And they love you when you're winning and then they shit on you when you're when you're losing. I've always, every time I've interacted with Cody, I've always found him to be really, really just friendly and professional and... You know, for the cameras and that Team Alpha Male stuff, he may have put on some errors, but when you interact with the guy personally, you don't get any of that vibe. He's a, he's a nice guy. He's a family guy, you know? And um, I think I think people missed him. They, they, they kind of shit on him a little bit, but I think they missed him. And even if you didn't, you have to agree, and we'll talk about some of this other bantamweight results here in just a moment, you have to agree, like, what he showed tonight. Like, if a Sun Tso had won fair and square, what could you say? Like, good for him, right? But you have to also acknowledge, hate him or love him, people are interested in Cody Garbrandt. And he is a figure of intrigue. And this fight was really quiet this week, which was so surprising to me. But I think you're going to see people begin to, like, really... After a, after a KO like that, you are going to begin to see people really re reinvest in him really really pour energy into what he is doing and pay attention to it because now he you know he looked tremendous two there's reasons to believe in his um reinvention three i mean the only other fights he's going to have at this point are probably against absolute savages which is just in its own right incredibly exciting and uh you know, it looks like he can. He's built for the long haul here a little bit, and he's at twenty eight. He's twenty eight, folks. Get fucking Cody Garbrandt is twenty eight years old, All right? Let me just verify that. I'm pretty sure that's right. I think I looked that up. Yeah, twenty eight turns twenty nine in July, but still, I mean, you know, he's got a lot of fighting left in him if he can really stick to the straight and narrow here a little bit. So super impressive. Welcome back, Cody Garbrandt. Great stuff. Still want to see some more of what he truly has to offer, but you know, based on what he showed tonight, you know, the answer is quite a bit. Um, here, let's put this up here. As always, subscribe, thumbs up, let folks know about this, please. I always appreciate that when you do. Yes, I am boozing tonight. When am I not? Um, all right. Whoo! How about this one? Aljamain Sterling defeating Co Corey Sandhagen. Wow. 128 of the very first round. Man, you know what's so funny about this? Submission, rear naked choke. This wasn't even competitive. <laughs> I would have thought this was the most competitive one on the card. And to be honest, I think if they fought four or five more times... You would see it be very competitive, um, I suspect, although I can't say that for sure at this point. That's just my hunch. But you got to give Sterling credit, man. What is the win streak that he has been on? Let's go over this here for a second. Uh, also, another young guy, 30, although he turns 31 in July. But 
yeah, listen to this. Brett Johns. So he lost to Marlon Marais with that vicious KO. Came back and beat Brett Johns. Decision. Sulawev stretched Cody, uh, Cody Stamen. A decision Jimmy Rivera. Decision Pedro Munoz. And then choked out Cody Sandhagen. Uh, so he fought, let's see, twice in 2018, twice in 2019. This is his first year in 2020. I mean, what do you want to say? Um, if you thought there was a difference between them, more than just style, you would think that Sterling would be perhaps the more physical of the two. In fact, I asked um, Corey about that on the show. I think I put the video up on YouTube as well about how strong Aljamain is. And even Corey kind of acknowledged, yeah, I've heard he's pretty strong. But, you know, I've sort of dealt with strong guys before. Yeah, but he's technical too. Right, so uh, the Herbert Burns, you saw the exact same thing. He goes for this choke, and the first one, which was over the chin, right, so on top, um, that was pretty close. But you could see Corey was able to get. It, it, it's one thing if you can still kind of wrap the actual chin itself a little bit there. Once you start getting over the teeth, um, even the top of the teeth, it's just not quite there anymore. I'll explain why in just a second. So it didn't really work out. And, but he kept the position, the body triangle. He kept it completely. And then what you saw was Corey try and roll to his base. And when he does, his hands are not, are not occupied in hand fighting. And when they're not occupied in hand fighting, you know, a guy like Sterling, I mean, this is, you know, I don't know what kind of... I've seen Corey do this before where he'll reach down and like try and peel a hook with his hands. It's like what Matt Hughes did against BJ Penn, and he got he got his shit snatched too. Now he had been hit with a huge strike as well, but you know, I, I, listen, jujitsu works this way. They've d- developed a series of principles and applications and rules because they're developing high percentage things. If you can do something that's not high percentage, but you make it high percentage because you just found a way to do that, then it works. It may not work for anybody else. It may not be something you can really replicate at scale. But if it works for you, well, then it works for you, and you should just be able to allow that. I don't know if he's developed a style of like back uh, management where he's peeling hooks with his hands. I can just tell you they don't teach that shit. I mean, they might at certain schools or at certain advanced levels. In general, they don't tell you to occupy both hands um, with fumbling with a foot or something. You know, they might tell you, you know, um, there, there can be cases where you push down on a knee to slide your hips out. There, there can be that, right? But at that point, if you're doing that, right, when you, whenever you have someone's back, the key is if you have their back, you want to create symmetry, right? You almost want to hide behind them. Now, when you get with a choke, the head has to be on the opposite side of the choking arm, right? So my choking arm goes around the head this way, which means my head can't be here. My head has to be on the other side, right? There's lots of little sort of, sort of details that seem kind of obvious, but you have to think about it. Anyway, part of the other detail there is before I go for that, if I'm just creating a harness, right? So the hand that goes around is the one that touches and then you secure, right? That one has to be nice and tight. Um, your chest to back, you, want to be, you, want, you don't want any space. You want to keep it nice and closed and you don't want them to have any angular asymmetry. You want them to be total symmetry if possible. And you can play with that, um, you know, angling off depending on what kind of submission you want to go for. But when you're, you know, maintaining... If you have that, they can't separate. So if you've begun to separate that a little bit, you've, you're the guy who's had his back taken and you create some asymmetry 
And now, let's say your shoulder blades, I'm going to make up something. If your shoulder blades are touching the mat, they still kind of have your back to the side. But if you have a shoulder blade touching the mat, and at that point, the choke is not near, and you can push the legs or maybe even the hip in some kind of a way, and then scoot your hips out, now you have really removed any form of control at that point. At that point, using your hands in that kind of a way makes sense. It's a long way of saying, like, just reaching down like that, uh, it's going to cost you. Anyway, you knew Sterling was strong. Uh, people have told me they've rolled with him. They're like, yo, that fucking dude is strong. But, you know, first round, 90 seconds in with the back, with a choke, he's going to be, you know, in grappling positions and grappling holds, right? A guy who's been wrestling for most of his life. He's going to be strong as a motherfucker in those positions. And you saw that there. Now, why wouldn't the choke, like, why does it have to be, okay, so we know if you choke around the throat, of course it can be a wind choke, but really it's a blood choke is really what you're looking for. Why does the choke around the jaw work? Uh, Braulio Estima talks about this all the time. Um, try and open your, I won't do it here because, you know, you all take a snapshot and send it to Bohashinia Depot. But open your mouth as, as wide as you can and then try to breathe. You'll, you'll notice it's very, very hard. So some guys will just try and choke the chin to break it and that will cause pain. Sometimes you can choke the chin to break it and you can get a blood choke at the same time. Other ones will take your jaw and then they'll try and pull it down and back. Um, and then that way you can get both a blood choke and an air choke and you might even get a little bit of a jaw crank on it at the same time. It could be one of the three. The only one where you get kind of bad is where you're just choking the jaw and not the um, carotid arteries. In any event, I don't know which one exactly. Well, actually, no. But that, but the second point, when he went to his base and his hands weren't occupied, at that point, uh, Sterling snatches him off his base, and then it was fully under the jaw, and then the hand was behind the head. You never want the hand up here because then they can just pull it down. You always want it disguised because then there's no way to essentially remove it without cutting their fucking head off. And that's the one that he had. At that point, it was a wrap, man. I mean, you can't really... Once they peel... Once the If that choke is in here, and you heard Herbert Burns talking about having the elbow in line with the nose, it doesn't necessarily have to be. That's the ideal position. You don't have to have it that way. In fact, a lot of times, you know, um, you, you can get it not so much. It's not so much a crunching motion because this is not a physically strong motion. I mean, if you think about how much weight can you curl, right? Not much. That's not very much weight. But if you actually hold this and then you peel back, you're rowing. Now, how much weight can you row? You could probably row, if you're strong, several hundred pounds, right? Um, you know, and then some. You can't really curl several, several hundred pounds that easily. So it's more of a rowing motion, which would then misalign the elbow to the nose. In any event, once you get this here, show's over, folks. And that's exactly what you got. What a win by Aljamain Sterling, man. If you look at his UFC run... He So he comes in, he beats Cody Gibson in 2014. That's when he made his UFC debut. He came out of the uh, CFFC, which is the New Jersey Cage Fury Fighting Championships. I think Kimbo fought for them for a time. Then he beat Hugo Viana, TK Odom, right? Then he beat Takeya Mizugaki, and that's when he got the arm triangle choke from underneath. That's how you know he is strong as shit, dude. If you can remember, like, why does the arm triangle work, right? Or side choke is what they call it. Why does it work? The best way it was ever explained to me, and a guy was able to do it to me one time with one arm because he showed me the mechanics. 
it's yeah it can often be about squeezing but you'll notice a lot of times you'll if you ever play with the side choke or the head and arm triangle you'll kind of get it and then they make you rotate right because if i'm just to the side of you it's not enough but if i rotate now i'm beginning sorry there we go now i'm beginning to like twist that's sort of the that's sort of the idea there so that's one thing. Another thing you can do is from the side choke is you can almost, as you bring your hand around underneath their neck, right? So you bring the hand around and then you could put your weight on top of it. That's one thing. The other one is you almost sort of bring your chest um, on the back of their tricep, right? Because their hand is going to be this way. You bring your chest as you roll on top of it. And so you're actually kind of like compressing it with your body weight as you pull. Right, so that there's this is really there's force essentially in two directions. So to do that underneath means you don't have that. It just means you can squeeze naturally with that strong. So when he gets behind you on a rear naked choke and it's fully locked in, and then the hand is behind the head, donezo, over. Fight is over at that point. And so he loses to Brian Caraway, which was a fight that you could have argued he won, but the, the key there was he was not fighting up to his potential. And then he fought a Sun Sal, and he lost that one. It was close, a split. He comes back, and he beats Tanquinho Mendez. He beats Henan Barrao. He had that vicious loss to Marlon. So at that point, he had won three and lost two in that stretch. But then, as I mentioned, he beats John, Stamen, Rivera, Munoz, and Sandhagen. And it just looks like... He understands what he needs to do. He understands his game. He understands what it takes to win, how to train, how to get ready. He understands all parts of it. I've told you guys this before. I remember after one of Cejudo's fights, I say it every time on the show. I've had a, a high-level MMA coach, high-level, trains champions, multiple champions, reach out to me and say, Sterling is the guy to beat Cejudo. I guess we'll never know now because, you know, Cejudo for the time being or maybe forever is not here, but... Um, you, you got to give Aljamain Sterling the title shot. You have to. I know Cody looked amazing, but he's coming off of three losses. Sterling is coming off of four wins. This is his fifth in a row. He's your guy. So, Yan versus, or Yan versus Aldo, I guess that's the, uh, that fight is already going to happen or whatever the fuck they're going to do with that, fine. But the next guy in the queue, it better be Aljamain Sterling because, you know, it, it, not every career in the UFC is going to be totally blemish-free. Sometimes it's going to take a little bit of time to figure yourself out. You're going to have to fight tough guys. You're going to have to realize you have to make different decisions. It looks to me now, you know, whether he is striking, whether he is wrestling, whether it goes short, whether it goes long, this guy really has a way of winning. I'm not going to say any way he wants, but he can play the levels. He can fight wherever he needs to, and he can win at a championship level doing that. And, you know, yeah, it took him a little bit of time to figure out, but he, he had a great start. A couple of stumbles in the middle. Look at him now. Off to the races. Off to the races. Everyone's always like, oh, if you don't have a John Jones resume where there's, like, no blemish, you know, how good are you? Dude, not everyone's like that, and they can still – he might end up being your champion. He might end up, you know, doing the exact same thing to Jan if Jan gets past Aldo. He could do the exact same thing. Or he could end up just, you know, with his super long reach – teeing up Aldo at a distance who doesn't throw leg kicks anymore. You think that's crazy? I don't think that's crazy at all. So, uh, amazing win by him. Corey Sanhagen, you know, that, this he just, he underperformed tonight. There's no doubt about it. I mean, he came off a nice win over a Sun Tzu, um in his last fight and then Lineker before that. So, 
back to the drawing board, I think, a little bit with him. Um, especially on especially on some of those grappling positions, some of the choices he was making. But Algerman Sterling, wow, dude. Amazing. Congratulations to him. Really a, um, a guy who I don't think has quite broken through with the fans yet, who I'm hoping that the run he's on now is the thing that helps him turn the corner because the hardcore fans have always really kind of taken to him. And now's the time for like that casual crowd to start asking about him, right? But he's got to get, he's got to get, he's got some other fights he has to win. But my man's on his way. Tremendous, tremendous job by him. Uh, Neil Magny defeating Anthony Rocco Martin. I don't have much to say about it. I didn't quite understand some of the 30 27 scorecards, but whatever. Uh, let's talk about this. How about Sean O'Malley? <laughs> oh, him and Co. Yo, I thought he had. Uh, I thought he had the knockout of uh, the 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 one of the best not walk. Or, excuse me. Well, again, one of the best walk off knockouts, and then on top of it at bantamweight, and then old Cody Garbrandt comes in there. The reason why Cody's is better is yeah, his took to the second round to happen, but it was against much better competition. You know, Eddie Wineland's a good fighter. I had him on my show this week. I really enjoyed our conversation. It was good. it was great to talk to him. Um, but a Sun Sal is just a much higher level. You know, the, the whole point about this fight for Sean O'Malley, among others, was that heading into this, O'Malley and Wineland were not ranked. Now, I suspect after this, O'Malley will be ranked, but that was the key. The key was getting this win so you could get into the top 15. Dude, he looked, he looked unbelievable. Um, you know, it's kind of funny. We're, we'll talk about Chase Hooper in just a moment. Chase Hooper seems to me is like way too early to be fighting in the UFC. He's just got a lot to work on, including like his own physical development. You know, he's not even, you know, he's barely out of high school, this kid. Like he's got a lot of time to, to just grow into his body and um, among developing his other skills. Sean O'Malley has, is much further along in that process at age 25. And those two years off from USADA, I mean, I'm not in favor of it because, you know, y'all know my feelings about the whole thing. And I think a lot of you agree, but he spent two years just getting better. He spent two years just working and without taking punishment, without, you know, the, the matchmaking that didn't necessarily work for him, without getting ahead of himself, he just got better. And he is just blowing these people out, dude. They, well, didn't his last fight go around? Yeah, two minutes and two seconds. He just We just walked through him. I mean, he's walking through these guys. Now, again, he's not fighting ranked competition, so let's see how he does a step up. But just the smoothness of his motion, the decision-making skills, the sophistication of what he is applying, all of it, all of it is just, it's excellent. It, he just looks phenomenal. The haircut, you know, I wasn't the biggest fan of, or the coloring anyway, but he's a very nice person. People love him. Uh, the traffic whenever you talk about Sean O'Malley is typically pretty good, if not great. And he is on his way. That kid is the future of the UFC, man. He is just, there's so many things going right for him. He's only 25 years old. You know, this guy could be fighting for at least seven more years of just whooping people's asses. And, you know, he might take a couple L's along the way because that's the fight game. But for now, oh my God, the wind is at his back. And what was so funny was DC was absolutely right talking about the faint. I think he had, and even Brandon Gibson had noted from Southpaw, he had landed, so you Southpaw, he had landed a check uh, right hook. Then he switched back to Orthodox. 
and he faked the uppercut with the right. He actually faked the jab too uh, for just a second and then popped him, um, I think, with the right straight of the cross, excuse me, and uh, sat him down. And what was best about it was I don't even know if he did it intentionally or not. I, I don't quite know, but suffice to say, uh, if you go and look closely, he actually makes contact with Wineland's face while Wineland is in between steps, right? So if you guys are new to me, you'll, uh, if, you're, if, you, if you're not new to me, you already know this, but the, if you're new to me, uh, well, the key here is you want to catch someone on the half beat, right? Everyone kind of moves on a rhythm, and you don't want to catch them when they're on the actual beat. You don't want to hit there. You want to hit as they're moving right there in between. And you'll notice he catches him right in that space. Again, it could have been uh, accidental, just sort of the way he was applying it. But nevertheless, he did that. And I was just like, dude, this kid is phenomenal. Phenomenal. And, I, you know, I wasn't blown away by him on the Contender Series. I knew he obviously had ability, but I was like, eh, a little green. But I don't have those concerns anymore. Now the question is, okay, he's clearly not green. Like he is. I mean, if anyone is screaming out at this point for a tougher challenge, it is Sean O'Malley. Uh, now the question is, let's see how good he is, right? We know how bad he's not. Let's see how good he is. Let's see, let's see if we can figure that out, right? Because what he is showing is like intelligence, calm, again, sophistication. Everything is so smooth. That, that, that boy can fight. Uh, all right, quickly through the prelim card, Alex Caceres. They keep calling him Caceres. My wife tells me it's pronounced Caceres, but okay. Defeating Chase Hooper, 30-27. Listen, we all like Chase Hooper. He seems like a nice kid. Very good ground game. It, listen, if you're a veteran striker like Caceres is, and you're walking into him, right? If you're Chase Hooper, your game plan is, I'm just going to march you down. So now I'm Caceres. What do I know? I know you're just going to march into me, right? I know that I don't have to go after you. I don't have to chase. You're not really going to angle. You're just going to kind of walk into me. So now I know how to expect this over and over again. I know that you're not going to be able to disguise what you're trying to do because he wasn't really able to. He didn't really have a whole lot of it. And um, I know you need to get close for your game to have any kind of effectiveness. So if you're Alex Caceres, I'm not saying it's easy to beat someone like that for the average person on the street. But for the average UFC level fighter, which, you know, Caceres is certainly that or more, that's a doable task. He's going to walk into you. You know he's going to walk into you, and he's not really going to be able to disguise what he's doing. So just make a read and react. And you saw that over and over again. And sometimes the reads were better than others, but in general, dude, if I know you're just going to walk into me, I get to just choose what I want to do differently each time. You're not, you're, you're not fooling me. There's no trickery. It goes back to the Felicia Spencer thing. There's, no, there was no, there's nothing you're doing where it's camouflaged or hidden. It's just blared out in the open. Okay, so make a read. Again, the really best boxers in the world, dude, they're hard to hit. They're hard to hit. Hard to hit clean anyway. right? Because they're good at either blocking, getting out of the way, confusing you. They're hard to hit. The best MMA fighters, It's in MMA, again, it's easier to hit because there's kicks and knees and punches and blah, spinning back fists. So it's a little bit easier to make contact, but they're hard to hit clean, right? The very, very best ones are hard to hit clean. And so if you're getting hit clean, constantly walking in, it tells you, you know, there's a lot of developmental work, work there on the feet for him. Uh, Ian Heinisch, 
just sort of running through Gerald Mearshart, changing levels, coming over the top. That was nice. Ah, Cody Stamen, man. Defeating Brian Kelleher at 30-27. That doesn't want to say how competitive the fight was. It was competitive across all three rounds. Stamen a little bit better, right? Nice jab, great lateral movement, phenomenal takedown defense. A little bit quicker, a little bit more athletic. Um, but, you know, Kelleher was up in his face, and he had his moments as well, to, to be clear. He was very much a worthy adversary. But how about Cody Stamen, dude, losing his brother tragically? So, I mean, this guy had to go beat Brian Kelleher, and he had to do all these things. And he had to do it bearing the weight of this horrific trauma. And he performed that ably. I take my hat off to Cody Stamen, man. What a fighter. You know, in the proverbial sense of the word, and then the literal one as well. What a fighter that guy is, huh? Amazing performance by him. You know, he had a tough fight on his hands, and he looked great. Um, you know, if the if you want to have a knock on him, it would be like, you know, his fights sort of routinely go the distance. But in terms of his skills, in terms of what he can do, offensively, defensively, understanding the game, again, camouflaging what he's trying to do, he's very good. Uh, Maki Patolo, big power, as we all kind of knew, against Charles Bird, up a weight class, um, I think. Uh, Alex Perez defeating Juicier Formiga with those leg kicks. So back-to-back -back cards where guys are landing the leg kicks. I tweeted it out earlier this week. I'll share it again. If you guys have not seen it, shouts to Bazooka Joe. You guys know Joseph Altolini, um, uh, tremendous uh, Canadian kickboxer. I believe he's Canadian. And um, you know, a commentator for Glory. He, is, uh, he has a YouTube channel that is just a treasure trove of incredible breakdowns content uh, I could not recommend it more and he did a sort of four reasons why the calf kick is uh, grown popular in MMA and why it isn't necessarily as popular in kickboxing although they use it there as well I won't go into all four reasons but one thing you have to kind of understand is one you can be further away and land it than you would be if you were just traditionally slashing the thigh and so if, you know if you're watching MMA 10-15 years ago those Muay Thai kicks were designed to get in your knee and your hip, like that, that meat of that space there. Um, and they don't, they don't really do that much anymore. They tend to go below with the calf kick. You can actually do it further away. Um, the other part is, remember, if uh, not merely are you further away, but to throw a good leg kick like that to the thigh requires a certain kind of posture, whereas that calf kick, um, you can do it and kind of lean out of the way. So now you're you're, you're further back generally, and then there's a sort of lean that's uh, available, which sort of even further emphasizes sort of the safety of the distance. It's hard to see. You don't have to land with your shin. You can kind of land with the instep, and it still really hurts and is effective, so that also lengthens the, the space between you. So it's just really effective because it's concealed. It's quick. You're further apart. There's, and again, he goes into much greater detail, but that's why it's really effective, and it's hard to check. Um... Uh, he go, Valtellini goes into that as well. In any event, so you're just seeing that these people are just, they don't, you know, it's amazing. Like, Formiga has such a great resume, but he's a little bit older, longer in the tooth. And Perez, not like exactly a spring chicken at this point. What is he, 20, 28, born in 1992, Jesus. But uh, he's got like 30 fights. But you get these guys with these modern games, you know, why is a guy like Dominic Reyes? Who didn't start fighting until 2015, capable of you know I know he did not beat John, but I thought I thought he should have, and certainly we can all argue and agree he was pretty pretty competitive. How can it be that you can start fighting that much later than this guy and be that competitive? It's because dude, if you can just get a guy who's a good athlete who trains hard, 
and you know, obviously he's built for fighting, obviously, but on top of that, just modern best practices, which fighters of a different era did not have, particularly in the striking department, which has the most to improve and has come a long way. You know, you can do a lot. Devin Clark defeating Alonzo Minifield, tremendous grit from him. And his dad screaming at him was super moto. I loved it. And then Herbert Burns defeating Evan Dunham, rear naked choke, 120 of the first. Again, it's going to be hard to submit a black belt from a static position, right? Because Evan Dunham's a black belt too. You got to get you got to get things in motion. You got to get mo- think about takedowns. It's hard to just take someone down when they're just planted and they're resisting. Get their feet moving, right? And then you can upend their weight any number of different ways. So that's the key. Um, do we have any bonuses yet? Let's see. I don't think so. Let me check this one. I just want to see here real quick. In the meantime, um, oh, yes, we do. So your bonuses, Sean O'Malley, Aljamain Sterling, Cody Garbrandt, Alex Perez. Yeah, it's pretty fair. They didn't give one to Amanda, but that's fine. Um, yeah, I mean, Sean O'Malley, walk-off. Sterling, 90-second submission. Cody Garbrandt, walk-off. Alex Perez, first-round leg kick, TKO. Yeah, it seems pretty fair. All right, so if you have a question, I will get to them in uh, this part of the of the uh, live show. Yeah, so let's do that now. And meanwhile, I'll take this off. Oops, take that off, and I'll put this on. Okay. All right. All right, this person writes, Cody's lack of a jab is so jarring. How can he realistically compete at this level without the same patterns appearing against more educated strikers? Um, Because he sort of uses, I mean, I'm a big believer in the jab. Again, let's maybe he didn't want to have one for this particular fight. There's still a lot that needs to be uncovered about him. Also, that sort of low calf kick has a jab-like... it can serve in certain ways as a jab-like function, and he had that one on point. Also, that was scarily similar to when Asuncao got caught by Eric Koch. Yeah, that was a vicious KO, too. I forgot about that. Good call. I, someone says, I don't care if I get hate for this. Women are tougher than men. Seriously, women's mental toughness is insane. Well, I wouldn't hate you for it, but that seems deeply unscientific. Um... Someone says, also, I need to see more movement in the welterweight title picture. Love my boy Jorge. But if he matches Usman, I think Jorge ends up like on those white girls. Oh, God. All right. Um, He has a ridiculous comment. But this is the case to be made. Forget about pay, because I think Jorge's argument for more pay is airtight. But... um, What's a better fight against Usman, Jorge or her, or uh, Gilbert Burns? Because I tend to think Gilbert Burns could. I mean, I actually think that it's funny. I actually think that um, Masvidal is a bad potential matchup for Gilbert. I actually think that Gilbert is a tougher fight for Usman because you can't really. I mean, you can take Gilbert down if you want if you're Usman. But I don't know how smart that is. So it'll probably be like. Um, on the feet. Now, two guys who know each other, maybe they don't really go for the finish uh, because they know each other's weaknesses and they're doing a lot to avoid it. 
On the other hand, the way in which you're seeing Gilbert kind of, um, again, using camouflage, feints, fakes, stance switches, uh, you know, taking taking big angles, right, through combination, it's, it's very sophisticated. It's really sophisticated stuff. Who should Sugar Sean fight next? Got to be someone in the top 15. So that would be... Top 15 is 11 is Cruz, 12 is Stamen, 13 is Dodson, 14 is Song Yadong, 15 is Vera. Dodson's not a bad one, right? Even Cruz. Which of tonight's victorious bantamweights is most likely to win the belt at some point in the future? Man, I would have said Sanhagen, but he's got some work to do, I think, at this point. I think that's all pretty fair. Uh, O'Malley, Sterling, or Garbrandt? Ooh. O'Malley, oh man, any of them could. Um, O'Malley, Sterling, or Garbrandt? I don't know, man. Garbrandt looked pretty fucking good. Sterling, too. It was between them. O'Malley obviously looks tremendous, but he's got some work to do to prove exactly what he can do. Someone says Amanda Nunes is the goat of the MMA. Well, I don't know what the MMA is, but... She certainly is the goat of women's MMA. Is Sun Tzu one of the best fighters to never fight for a title? Absolutely. I feel like I'm his only fan. He's always talented but lacked the excitement. He always came up unlucky uh, a lot of times in decision wins. Oh, losses, rather. Which is worse, Face the Pain or ESPN Plus streaming service? Seriously, I feel like I missed 10 to 15% of the footage because of crashes. How do they justify charging us for this? So, I have had mixed success with them. On my phone, it comes and goes, but it's usually, I would call it good. On my smart TV, it's a fucking abomination. It doesn't work. It's just, it, it's a shit app. On my laptop, excuse me, on my PC, which is what I'm streaming this from tonight, uh, I have not had an issue for a while. So to me, it is really um, interface, essentially, well, not interface, but... Um, device dependent but on my smart TV oh my god I, I can't do it anymore I'd rather just watch it on my Chrome or my on my Chrome browser and then just cast it to the TV rather than just straight up natively using the ESPN app or the plus app I forget I've, I've stopped using it at this point because it's such shit um, just directly on my TV this person writes I thought sending Felicia out in the fifth round was fundamentally egregious. Yeah, I didn't agree with it at all. I thought, you know, what was the point? Granted, I think Nunez kind of tapped the brakes a little bit, but still, I mean, what, you think she has a shot, really? Am I wrong for thinking Woodley can have been everything Amanda Nunez is and more, given their similar skill sets, wrestling, cardio, kicks, and overhands? Am I wrong? Yes, you are wrong. Uh, very sad to see the man in the hat has lost his job. Yes, Jesus, I was... Talking about someone, uh, talking to someone about this today. Talking about Chuck Mendenhall. Did you guys just see the layoffs at the Athletic? Ugh. Josh Gross, Dan Stupp, um, Chad Dundas, and Chuck Mendenhall. Are you kidding? You can make a website with those four. If a guy that talented can get the axe, then no one, excuse me, in MMA media is totally safe. Hoping for the best for all of you in the coming months. Yeah, no one is safe, including not, not me. That's part of the reason why I have this YouTube channel. 
is so that like if they pull the rug out from under me and you know in in, in the media space it feels like again no one is immune um at least i still have this to fall back on uh but you know it's brutal that's brutal so it says thanks for the coverage love the content thank you buddy i appreciate it if cody looks how he did tonight how do you think the matchups against sterling marais or yawn okay against sterling uh, that's an interesting one because they're both gonna be playing a bit of a range game there the speed of cody could be interesting against marais um you know could cody effectively pressure that's interesting Against Jan, that, yeah, I have to think about more about the Morais one because the Morais might be like a uniquely bad matchup because of the way he uh, responds to uh, the way he pressures. Um, with Jan, I don't know. Cody gives a lot of motion. That, that would be an interesting one. Uh, this person says, I just want to let you know, Luke, and the fans that hope America heals. My childhood in India were American cartoons, and my adulthood is American media here in Australia. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And I'm sure that we all will at some point, I think. I don't know. How do you feel about a Nunez-Cyborg rematch? I don't, because they it will never happen. Did Spencer train her whole camp hitting a Wing Chun dummy while eating donuts? Totally embarrassing. Also, Cody has his head screwed on again. Well, that's a shitty thing to say about somebody who probably trains her ass off. Um, so no, I bet she actually trained very hard fighting at an elite level against the very best female fighter of all time. It's going to be hard to look good against her. Person says, won some money on the Nunez decision and Cody by KO. Thanks for the content. Shout out to Mike Gunzelman. Yeah. Apparently Connor retired again. What's this? Oh Lord. Did he? Wait, what? From Connor. Hey guys, I've decided to retire from fighting. Thank you all for the amazing memories. What a ride it's been. Here's a picture of myself with my mother in Las Vegas post one of my world title wins. Pick the home of your dreams, Mags. I love you. Whatever you desire, it's yours. Do we believe this? Oh, that's funny. Dana White just claimed he has no idea why his fighters want more money. I have a couple theories. <laughs> Not that hard to figure out. Um, that's funny. All right, back to these questions. Maki Patola reminded me of a middleweight Max Holloway. Really? Doesn't for me. He feels like more like a something closer to like a Costa mixed with a Brad Tavares. All right, there's somebody trying to troll. Do you think that was the same punch that cost Cody against TJ? Rafael's punch arrived first. Just wasn't as accurate. Yeah, but the punch itself is not so much the consideration versus the context of it. 
And he put himself in a context where it didn't matter. That didn't matter. It didn't, wouldn't carry the same consequences. Is it crazy to ask for Cody versus O'Malley? Yes, it is crazy. You're talking about a guy who is going to be probably ranked inside the top three at this point versus a guy who before this was unranked? Fuck that. Felt like Joe and DC were chatting as if they're on the JRE broadcast. I like them individually, but together the broadcast gets too lax. Yeah, they get a little silly. They get the sillies at times. Do you think Sandhagen versus O'Malley makes the most sense? No, I do not. Guys, would you give listen, give O'Malley somebody in the top 10 to 15. If he wins that, then at that point, and if he looks good doing it, okay, fine. You can match up with whoever at that point, but take it easy. If Jones was the first ever light heavyweight champ and fought the same guys, would people say the same things about his record that they say about DJs? No, because he had beaten guys who had had a long history of success in that division. Um, but the fact that the division's been around for a long time and at one point was their golden division across numerous uh, organizations sort of tells you that's a little bit different than, you know, um, this is the last tier of weights that we consider for a contest um, for inclusion, meaning it hasn't had as much time to develop. Is it the only fight to make Amanda versus Valentina three? Again, I'd like to see it. I just don't feel like, um, I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. I mean, if Amanda wants it, I wouldn't poo-poo it. I don't know. Uh, Gaethje Garbrandt Nunez. When great fighters fight patient and fight in moments and pockets, uh, pockets of time, they annihilate. No need to redline constantly. Yeah, but, um, you know, Tony lost to Gaethje, but I would consider Tony a great fighter. And he kind of redlines. So I would agree with you in general, like a patient apply, patient apply, patient apply method is probably better over the long term. But there are going to, again, if it works for you, uh, and you're going to say, oh, it didn't work in that fight. Okay, but Tony is Tony by virtue of that style. So, like, in general, it kind of does. And for a long time, it did majorly. It just didn't work every time. But uh, the idea that it doesn't work for him, I don't think that's true. Sterling, most impressive, didn't get hit. He's up there. I mean, he had a night. He's up there. Uh, there's a lot of dudes who were impressive tonight, so... Thoughts on Rivera versus uh, O'Malley, Morais versus Stamen. Yeah, Morais Stamen's interesting. Rivera O'Malley. Um, no, I think it's still a little too high. I, I wouldn't hate it. Still a little too high. Anderson Silva's career went down the tubes when he stopped wearing his Corinthians shorts. Okay. Uh, Jesus Paz says, long time, first time. Thank you. Again, so says Connor just retired. I guess, I mean, do we believe that? Uh, look, it's 6.30 a.m. 6.30 a.m. in Scotland. Are y'all eating haggis? Um, Kevin writes, always look forward to your content. Your work is underappreciated. Thanks for doing you. I'm guessing you sit a lot for work. I do. So to spare your back, what chair do you use? What the fuck is this chair called? The DX, the DX Racer. It's a gaming chair. It's fucking great. Um, okay, hang on. 
Will Bigfoot Silva retire? I hope. What do I think of Candace Owens? I don't think much. I think people need to have a much higher order of intellectual thought leaders in their lives. Um, I have Force versus Rampage as first calf kick win. Most people give Benson Henderson the credit for the intro. Thoughts on the history? I have to go back and watch that fight. Uh, also, didn't that fight go the distance? Isn't that what my memory tells me? Forrest. Griffin. Am I wrong about that? Am I misremembering? No, it was a decision. So it's not a leg kick win. Do you think do you think UFC will help Tim Sylvia with arm surgery? I don't think they're gonna have to. It looks like he's killing it on GoFundMe. I mean killing it, but um I think he'll meet his quota financially. Thoughts on UFC depriving former fighters of benefits afforded to employees under state and federal law? Well, I don't think they're actually breaking the law given how the law works. But then the question sort of becomes, um, is the classification fair? Because if the classification changed, then they probably would be on the hook, right? From independent contractor to employee. So, yeah, I mean, if your arm gets absolutely shattered in the octagon and then the screws are coming out later on in your life, um, I would like to see that not come out of the fighter's pocket. But... You know, so the bigger issue here is like, how, how do we not have, you know, more ubiquitous access to health insurance in this country, which is another thing, but okay. With two straight wins, where does this put Caceres? In a better spot than he has been. I don't know that meaningfully alters his career. Look, I use my Apple TV to stream the ESPN app. So far, no issues whatsoever. Okay, fair enough. On my Samsung thing, ugh. Am I the only one kind of disappointed by how short Sterling Sandhagen was? Of course. Of course we wanted to see more. Yes. Highest quality win streak in UFC history. Um, but probably John Jones's. New Cody versus TJ for Trilogy Who Wins. I will have to see how TJ looks. It's impossible to know. Is something wrong with Team Alpha Male to you? No, nothing is wrong. Is it the perfect place to get all of your needs met for every fighter? No, but no camp is. The The only issue with them before was, apparently, that you couldn't go and cross-train elsewhere and then still come back and blah, blah, blah. And I guess now you can. I guess now Cody is proof that you can do that. But other than that, uh, you know. Will you be watching um, Be Like Water tomorrow, the ESPN Bruce Lee doc? I mean, I'll check it out at some point, but, you know. People grossly overstate it's so funny I actually like Bruce Lee a lot and I think he had I think he, the, the the real reality about Bruce Lee is that uh, he made great cinema he was a talented martial artist and in terms of martial arts ideas um, he was ahead of his time I think you can say that but this idea that like you know fucking he was this incredible undefeated fighter and uh, you know um he was the grandfather of MMA. It's just total bullshit. It's like no truth to it whatsoever. It's just nonsense. And they're just, everyone's using each other because the Lee estate, you know, through MMA, if everyone in MMA kind of just says the shit, they get the, they get the legacy boost. And MMA gets to tie itself to Bruce Lee. So there's this like reinforcing effect here. When if you actually look at the history of how NHB and then MMA was developed. It had nothing to do with Bruce Lee, neither in Japan nor here. It had nothing to do with it at all. You know, so it's just like, okay, all right. I mean, the guy was clearly ahead of his time. He was clearly brilliant and an amazing filmmaker and martial artist. I mean, these are all real things, but 
The father of MMA. Okay. Um, I believe... Uh, yeah. That's it, folks. That's it for me. Um, okay. Morning Combat will be on Monday. Morning Combat Dissected will be on Monday. I appreciate you all watching. Give that video. Let's do this. Let's do... Let's do this. Bump, bada, bump, bump. Oops, let's do this. Yeah, there we go. Let's uh, hit the subscribe button. Like the video. I appreciate it. Someone says West Virginia checking in. Shouts to West Virginia. I think they should keep the smaller cage. Not for everything, but I don't have much of an issue with it. I looked up, by the way, the Strike Force Hexagon. Its furthest distances were 30 feet. Didn't feel that way watching it, but it seems that way. Is Bantamweight creeping up to lightweight with the divisional talent? Uh, it's getting interesting. Yeah. Not quite there yet, but it's getting there. It's pretty awesome. Um, okay. Again, thank you guys so much for watching. I really appreciate it. Get some sleep.